Former McMaster offensive lineman Tom Sterling, number 62, current assistant offensive line coach for the University of Guelph Griffins. You're listening to At The 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. This is now episode seven of the Life After Football series. Joining us today, we have former offensive lineman from the McMaster Marauders and current assistant offensive line coach with the greatest team in OUA history, the Guelph Griffins, Tom Sterling. Tom, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm excited to be on the show. Uh, I've listened to it a few times, and uh, I'm excited for uh, this opportunity here. So thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really excited to talk you know, anything and everything that's going to come up. Uh, you know, First and foremost, with everything going on with you and your family, how's everyone been holding up over these, uh, these strange times? We're doing okay. Thankfully, everybody's uh, safe. Uh, we didn't have any big trips or anything like that when everything was kind of going on. So everyone's been uh, staying smart, staying safe, staying home. So we're doing okay. That's great to hear, man. That's, that's awesome. So before we get into the life after, we'll start with the life itself, your journey playing football in the OUA, which of course was as a master marauder. So you start up in 2011 and then you played all the way through, I believe the 16, 17 year was your last year, right? Yes. So you saw Vanier's, Yates Cups, you saw all number of, of things from that franchise. And, you know, maybe we'll jump into this in a minute or two. You know, we talked, you know, watching Mac defeat Western in this past year's Yates Cup, whether or not Mac has a shot at claiming team of the decade over the seemingly obvious pick in Western. We can get into that maybe a little bit later. But let's talk about you, first and foremost, your team spending uh, over half the decade with that team. Uh, what was your experience like there? Oh, it was incredible. Um, it was a fantastic experience from start to, be, to, from start to end. Um, you know, learning under guys like uh, Jason Riley and uh, John Behe, Stefan Potasek, um, just made me a, a, an incredible football player and so knowledgeable in the game. Um, and then to have, you know, legendary teammates like Kyle Quinlan and uh, the offensive line who came before us, like uh, Matt Sewell and Jason Medeiros and learning from those guys. It was just, it was an amazing experience from start to end. And, you know, being a part of those championship teams and being a part of, frankly, a dynasty from 11, 12 and 14 there was, uh, was incredible. It was just fantastic to be a part of. And no doubt being an offensive lineman, you probably got some good battles against guys like Short Hill or Diagular or, you know, I'm sure I'm, those are the first two that jump out to mind for me, but I imagine the list goes on and on and on. Just such a historically uh, great, as you were, it's a, it really was a dynasty. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And um, the single, the thing that made us the best in, in during those years were absolutely going up against the defenses that we had. Like, uh, like you said, Daguilar, we had, you know, uh, Short Hill, Aram Isho, uh, Ryan Chemilewski, in, uh, in 2011 there, those guys were fantastic. In that 2011 season between Ryan Chemilewski, Aram, and Nick Shorthill, we had three current and future President Trophy winners. You know, those guys were incredible, along with a J.P. Metris winner in Ben Daguilar. So going up against those guys every single day was incredible. And as a rookie, you, you had to hit the ground running. There was a couple of times where I would do some one-on-ones and not hit anybody because their hand movement was so good and they were so quick. So I got... I looked dumb a few times, but uh, they made me better every single day. No doubt. And, you know, you take that, you take those, those talents as individuals and you put them in a Greg Knox scheme defense, and that's just a recipe for 
absolute destruction. And you know what? It's, it's funny. Like I can remember whether I was dressing or on the practice roster still in my time at Guelph, it was, it was very noticeable the caliber of a Mac team when Knox was there and when he wasn't because what he did to that defense was just it caused nightmares when you were prepping for them in the game week leading up to it and it caused even more nightmares being on the field trying to find where everyone was going and, and locate them so you know uh, a credit to the coaching staff the individuals but you know 100% that was you know a really really impressive run that those teams went on. Oh yeah, absolutely. The uh, uh, Greg Knox defenses are just incredible and they're such a pain to go against. I'm very happy that he was on our team for the most part. Um, we would do, you know, during uh, regular practice, we'd have uh, 12 on 12, but ones versus ones. And it'd be our current game plan versus their current game plan. And a lot of the times we didn't even watch the film afterwards because it was like we would have to change everything that we're doing if we wanted to try and block what Greg Knox is doing right now. So let's just when like focus on the one-on-one battles did you beat your guys great move on because it was just it would have been a nightmare to try to game plan for all of that so uh credit to you guys for having to try to do that (laughs) well you know i'm curious just real quick on on what you mentioned there about doing ones versus ones now that you've spent some time in the coaching sphere as well because i think a lot of schools stick by the mentality of having a scout team that goes against the ones of the opposite side of the field and vice versa with the occasional one versus ones, ones versus ones sprinkled in, how did you, as now having experience on the coaching side of things, is that something that you think is, is beneficial or maybe not beneficial, but do you think it's something that perhaps should be used more than it is? Or do you prefer the notion of having the scout team and them facing the ones each week? Um, for sure, the scout team is the most important part. If you got if you had the choice to keep either one, the scout team is, you know, preparing for your next week and preparing for your next opponent. So you have to keep that. But um, I think the ones versus ones is incredibly important as well, because you don't get sometimes a lot of times against the scout guys, you're going up against guys who are either in the first year or just don't have a lot of playing experience and they don't know that intensity of a game. And so when you go up against ones versus ones, it's always heated. There's always, well, at least at Mac, there was a lot of John going back and forth uh, and the guys got up and guys got excited and you saw the best out of every single guy um, during that time. Now it's only like, you know, a 10 minute period kind of thing. So you're only getting in, you know, 12 to 15 plays if you're moving quick. So it's nothing too long, but that little 10 minute period amps everybody up for the rest of practice. And now, now you're starting to beat back and forth between the offense and the defense and everybody's getting fired up and uh, ready to have like a really explosive day. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, I, I can recall a lot of spring camp, winter camps, you get a lot of those one versus ones in those scenarios. And then, yeah, that's really where you get the, uh, a little bit of the jawing going back and forth. Uh, you know, last question I want to ask you just about uh, the team as a whole. We, we mentioned Knox and, and his impact on the defensive side there, but really the, the conductor of it all, uh, Stefan Potasic. And, you know, we saw going into last year, the Potasic lottery, if you will, of where will he end up? You know, a lot of hype about maybe he would go to a place like Guelph or, you know, wherever. And of course he lands back at Mac and within the year, they're Yates cup champions. Again, uh, no doubt one of the, the, the best coaches out there right now. What, what, what do you have to say about a guy like seven potassium? Uh, um, incredible coach, uh, incredible person. I think he does a really great job of putting people in the right spots and, 
uh, allowing them to do their thing. You know, when uh, Behe was still kind of coming up in terms of being an offensive coordinator, he, you know, would obviously give him a few pointers here and there or talk to him or sit in on some meetings just to make sure everything was going smoothly. But for the most part, that offense was his. You know, Knox's defense was his. Um, he didn't step in a whole lot of times. You know, he would maybe help out with receivers every once in a while because he's, you know, obviously comes from that background. But he made sure that he put his guys in the best possible scenarios by getting guys like a Jason Riley, who's been, you know, an offensive line coach and is a legendary player at the, you know, uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats as well. Um, so getting guys in like that and putting people in the right situations just to, to win and take off from there. So you spend some five, six years with this great team and for you, the transition out of football, or at least in terms of hanging up the cleats didn't involve leaving the sport as you're now, you know, coaching with, as I said, the best team, of course. Um, but nonetheless, when you stop with the faces there, Dakota, um, <laughs> what was your last championship? We don't need to talk about it. Um, <laughs> now the last time I was on the field actually. Um, but Nonetheless, when you hang up the cleats, it's clearly a significant moment, whether you're staying involved with the sport and coaching, personal training, you know, any of the you know, number of ways that people have maintained their connection with the sport that's been so involved in all of our lives. So for you, despite moving into coaching, I imagine there still was just some wealth of emotion or some kind of obstacles you had to deal with in realizing that you're, you know, you're now the guy with the clipboard, not the guy out there running through practice and being out there with the guys day in, day out. What was that experience like for you? It was, uh, it, it was, and still is a, um, you know, a, a strange transition, honestly, you know, uh, especially going into a coaching staff like we have right now with phenomenal coaches, like, you know, Ryan Shan, um, coach Mike McDonald, coach Sharia. We've got uh, Dennis McPhee out there as well. Like these guys are incredible, but you know, being out of the game only for, what, four years now, I'm closer in age with a lot of the players. In fact, they're like some of the fifth year and sixth year guys that we had at Guelph were in their first year when I was in my last year. So it's an interesting thing to, you know, not obviously have that. You need to have that split between being a player and being a coach, obviously being, you know, have a great relationship with them, but there's a, comes a time where it's, you know, I'm your coach. You can't be talking to me in a certain way. There's a level of respect that needs to be there, even though, you know, I understand all your references. I understand everything that's been going on and I, I can relate to you guys better than the coaches can. I'm still a coach. And so even for myself, finding that kind of walking that line has been a, uh, um, I don't want to say struggle, but it's been a learning experience for sure. Um, and now just kind of going into a, a different role with the team instead of being a player and um, staying those extra times where uh, players get to go home and you stay after practice or you stay and, you know, you're breaking down film, you're going home, you're watching stuff where, you know, doing things that a player wouldn't normally do. But uh, just being around the game some more and doing the X's and O's, it's, it's a fantastic thing to be a part of again. And we talk about that that connection that you're having with a lot of those players, and then sort of the the difficulty that might present. Um, sort of looking forward, uh, or I should say, I guess not even looking forward, but when you talk to uh, the other coaches around you, is that something that uh, that some of them shed any light into and in how they've dealt with it, or is that something that you just felt you kind of had to figure out for yourself with this being your first sort of foray into the coaching realm? No. Um... 
I've, you know, obviously there's a lot of personal things that you go through and you need to make sure that you're dealing with it in the best way possible. But uh, Mike McDonald, who is the current uh, full-time offensive line coach, has been an incredible mentor to me. And I know you know him, Zach. Uh, He is uh, a fantastic person, uh, an even better coach. So uh, being able to learn from him and take in some knowledge from him uh, has made me a better player, a better coach now. Um, and uh, I'm so lucky to be a part of that. And he really helped me and, you know, kind of guided me along the fact of uh, being able to joke around with the guys and doing everything like that, but making sure that those lines are very clear. Um, you are a player, or you are a coach now, you're no longer a player. Um, so he's been a fantastic help. Now, I guess before we get too much into just your experience at Guelph, in part of the time between you leaving Mac, or I think part of it crosses over when you were still at Mac and, and getting to Guelph, uh, and this is very pertinent to this being a podcast, is that you spent some time working with uh, CFMU McMaster University Radio uh, as the sports director. Uh, what was that experience like for you? And was that something that you just kind of found as they were looking for volunteers on campus? Or was that something that you had been, you had in the back of your mind, something you wanted to pursue for a while? Yeah, it was it was an incredible experience, really. Uh, back in, I think it was 2013, um, I had just recently, I think I saw a sign or something like that, and I started following CFMU on Twitter, and they were looking for new volunteers. And so I just went there every, every other Wednesday kind of thing to host their top 30 uh, songs of the week. Um, and just kind of got into it that way and started volunteering and things. And then obviously them covering sports a whole bunch I wanted to get into that as well and so the next year they offered um, they offered me my own full-time show and so I did a show um, that mainly focused on music with also some sport influence in there as well Uh, it was called the Canadian Rush and then after that um, I applied for the sports director position and and loved it Um, we specifically covered the basketball seasons between men's and women's basketball and we would send guys out um, to call the games no matter where they went, including flying guys out to uh, Thunder Bay, uh, which is quite a ways away. But uh, being a part of that and being a part of CFMU, I got the chance to go back there a little bit and start up another uh, radio show as well. And it was just, uh, it was an awesome experience. And I love working with those guys over there, um, working with the community radio and the guys who are just so in, involved with McMaster University in general. It was, it was great. Do you ever call up your former teammate Marshall Ferguson and give him air checks? <laughs> I think Marsh has got a little bit more experience than me on that one. But, uh, yeah, I, I like to text him every once in a while after he tweets something out or says something on the radio and uh, just talk with him a little bit. But he's uh, he's a fantastic guy. I got a chance to do uh, a, a radio show with him just a little bit there uh, just before the 2014 season. Uh, it was called OVFL Live, and he's – incredible um really does his homework on every single thing that he does so it was it's cool to be around that but uh yeah like i said yeah he's got a little bit more experience than i do <laughs> well i mean you know you you, you can get there yeah you know zach zach wants to overtake you know we'll we'll be the face <laughs> of you sports soon maybe tsn will buy us out fingers crossed um just just jumping back a little bit i mean obviously uh, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like you're more of a, you know, you're a player's coach in the sense where, you know, you, you're fresh out, you know, you know, coaching the guys. Um, do you find that these guys ever come to you and talk to you about, you know, I don't want to say life after football, but, you know, life outside of football, kind of what that's like once you, you're done playing in the league? For sure. Um, there's been a few guys, I don't want to name names or anything like that, but there's been uh, a few guys from Guelph 
um, who have come and talked to me about, you know, personal experiences and questions about how to go forward. And, you know, some guys who have, have been battling injury and, uh, but not, you know, questioning on whether or not I should continue or whether or not I should just try to, you know, hang them up and save and, um, and try to be as healthy as I can. And, um, it's, it's helpful because in my short time with, well, in my time with McMaster, I've gone through my own fair share of, uh, experiences. You know, um, I had, uh, a few family members of mine pass away and I've had some injuries and things. So I've had a little bit of experience in multiple realms. So it was really, uh, helpful for me to be able to talk to some of the players and be like, you know, I've been through this, I've done this. I went to speak to, you know, a sports therapist who understands, you know, the workload of having to go to classes, having to go to practices, watching film afterwards, and then also dealing with something else on top of that. Um, and so going through those experiences for myself really made that um, much more uh, applicable to those guys in terms of giving advice to them and things like that. Oh, and I, I'm sorry to hear about, you know, the stuff that you kind of went through when you were in your playing career. I went through a couple unfortunate similar circumstances, um, and luckily I had, you know, some close friends to help me through that. Um, I think it's it's well known that Guelph has, I mean, facility-wise, is very good. Um, can you speak on, are there any programs they run outside of just, you know, working out and here's a great weight room, uh, like tutoring or any, like, resources that the players kind of get that can help them through the season and even afterwards? Yeah, so they, we have a tutoring program that uh, the guys do. I believe the guys who sign up for it actually fill out time cards to show like when they showed up uh, with their tutor, when um, when they met with them for how long in that. And if it's a, a lot of people who have, you know, like if it's a calculus course that multiple guys are in, they'll actually bring in a tutor and use the facilities that we have to make it like a makeshift classroom. So the guys will stay after practices or something like that and just go into the rooms and you know, ask questions, learn, go through the um, the previous lesson and that. And so doing things like that is incredibly helpful. Um, there's another uh, recruit who's coming in who's gone through, you know, his own fair share of, um, of hard times. And there's a lot of different programs that are out there to help him out in terms of, you know, uh, money situations or going to, you know, therapy for things or anything like that. So uh, the University of Guelph has been fantastic in terms of, you know, making sure that every single kid is put into position to win or to be successful in their own life in football and outside of it, which is awesome. Yeah, I, th I think it's, I mean, obviously Guelph, but a lot of schools have been doing that recently. I think that's that's great. And again, not to name names or anything, but do you find that your athletes are taking advantage of these tutoring and even these this therapy? Because I know there's, you know, the stigma on football is be a tough bands man, don't talk about feelings, all that stuff. But that in turn, then when football is over, really leads to a lot of damage for people's mental health. So do you find that these players are actually taking advantage of this? And if not, how can maybe we get them to take advantage of this? Yeah, um, certainly the tutoring aspect. Um, I think almost every single player takes advantage of that in some way. Um, they're going through the motion and making sure that, you know, their grades are on top of things. But um, the therapy aspect of things, obviously, it's not a, a, a huge, uh, not everybody knows whether or not people are going in or not. Um, so yeah. I'm not entirely sure how many guys are in or not. But I, I hope that everybody is using it, even if, you know, you're not going through something that's really traumatic right now. Even just the stress of having classes and going to football and, you know, wanting to maintain good grades as well as putting out your best effort onto the field can be just really stressful on its own. Um, so I'm hoping that guys are utilizing the therapy that, 
uh, is available to them. I know when I was in um, McMaster, I utilized it as well. Um, and it just helps to talk to a third party who's not biased at all, who's not anything, because sometimes, you know, uh, I'm sure guys can feel like if you're talking to your friends over and over and over again, you're almost burdening them with, you know, what everything that you're going through. So to talk to somebody who's a professional in that way is going to do nothing but great things for you. And if we can eliminate that stigma of, you know, oh, you're a man, you got to be, you know, you, know, you got to be tough, just suck it up or whatever, and actually get people to talk about what they're going through. It's, it's just going to make everybody better in the end. No, 100%. I mean, I, I won't lie. When I was younger, I, I thought of it as such a weakness. But really, you got to think of it as like it's like any other training. You're, you're getting stronger by going through this and, and, and working with a professional. Obviously, you want a professional. Like, you don't want your personal trainer to be someone who doesn't know how to, you know, give you a good program. So, um, and just so just one more thing on that note. Um, I don't really know. You know, obviously, we talked to Stevenson Bone, uh, who works with you. Uh, he talked a little bit about golf. But... Guelph aside, do you have any advice for schools or programs or even the athletic department for helping kids transition from that football program to leaving? Because, I mean, they are going to lose access to, I mean, the tutoring and the therapy, but then also they lose access to, not access, but they lose their structure of workouts are at this time, you should eat at this time, you should eat this much, you should run this much. You know, you are you're still have your friends, but, you know, you don't have to see them every day for seven hours. Like, is there anything that you could, you know, what well, what would you say for to schools to help kids transition out of sports, make it easier for them? I've I've always found that talking to somebody who's been through it has been you know some of the most helpful advice that I've seen. Um, so talking to you know alumni or people that have gone through exactly what those kids are going through um, is you know a, obviously a fantastic resource to be able to have. And having you know fantastic alumni like all of these schools have um, is definitely a resource that you should be using. In terms of what the school itself can do, um, I think that for the most part when guys are through their playing career, they're through their schooling as well. And now they're kind of into the real world. Um, almost just doing like a, um, maybe even if it's by the team or something like that, but as like a, uh, a wake up call almost to be like, Hey, listen, like, you know, whether you're going into the CFL, like that's a different topic, but if you're just going into the, the workforce, like you need to change drastically how your life has been for your past, you know, at least four or five years, some, most guys have been training like that since longer than that, you know? So um, you don't have to go to a 6 a.m. workout every single day. You don't have to eat like you're going to starve every single day to keep your calories up and everything. So there's a lot of different changes that are coming into it and just being like, you know, it's okay if you stumble for the first little bit, you know, for the first, first six months, you don't really know what you're going to do or, or anything like that. And you're kind of jumbled up in your schedule. Like it's okay to be, um, you know, a little confused at that because your entire life has changed. You know, I know when I stopped, I had been training since I was in grade nine. So like what, 13 years old. So at the very least I stopped playing in 2016. Like that was a ton of time for me to be doing the exact same kind of lifestyle over and over and over again. And then to come out of that, I was, you know, the thing that really caught me was when I went to work, I was still eating as if I was an offensive lineman. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was still eating as if I was going to go and lift all these weights and go run around and everything. And I wasn't, but it wasn't like, you know, I'm not constantly eating terribly, but I'm just eating so much. And naturally without having that, you know, output, you put on weight, you, you know, you don't become as healthy as you want to be. And like realizing that is okay. You just have to make sure that you're understanding that, you know, your life has to change to suit what's going through. 
you know, if you're sitting at a desk all day, eating three like roast beef sandwiches probably isn't the best thing for you. You should probably mix in a salad or something like that. You know what I mean? So um, just having something like that, just to say, you know, your life is going to change and how it has been for the past, you know, at least half a decade for most guys, more than a decade. So give yourself some time to readjust to things. And if you want to hit the gym again and keep going, great. But if you want to take time off and just be, you know, a regular person again, by all means, go do that. You know what I mean? No, 100%. I mean, I think Zach and I had very opposite experiences. I mean, he used to be an O-lineman. <laughs> Zach, you, you've, you've dropped, what, like 60 pounds or something like that since your playing career? Yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, I, I, I mean, when I, when I was playing, I had a fast metabolism, so I was probably eating <laughs> upwards of 8,000 calories a day just to maintain my 160, 170, and then I stopped playing. And I jumped almost to 200, and that was my wake-up call. So, okay, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not hitting the gym as much as I used to. I'm definitely eating as much as I used to, so I need to stop that. Yeah. Oh, I, I hear you. I was, uh, I got up there a little while. Uh, I've been working on getting my way back down, but, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a climb for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you going back now to, I guess, what was it? Mid-May CFL draft first OUA player off the board, Coulter Woodmansey. What I, I, I know Coulter fairly well myself, didn't get to play with him. But, you know, I know the type of individual he is, but as someone who got to work with him from a coach to player perspective, talk a little bit of it, a little bit about uh, who Coulter is and what you foresee for him in his career at the CFL. Uh, Coulter is one of those guys that um, you only have great things to say about him. Um, and you'd run out of time before you stop running out of things to talk about. Uh, he's a fantastic person. He's a fantastic player to, to work with. Um, he's one of those dudes who's always in the, uh, always in the gym or always in uh, watching film, making sure that other guys are in there as well. If I myself or coach Mike isn't leading something, he's the one who's getting everybody in there making sure that, you know, everybody is watching the same film and we're all on the same page going forward and things. And, um, he is a fantastic person. Um, I wish him nothing the best, uh, at Hamilton, but uh, I am a little upset that we're not going to be able to get him back for next year, but uh, he's going to be a fantastic Tiger Cat. And uh, it, they could be, I believe, if my, uh, my numbers are correct, they could have an all-Canadian offensive line with if Coulter is out there and, and starting. So um, that would be a pretty special thing to have, especially in the CFL. I mean, that's excellent. All the more reason to be tuning into uh, the hopeful bubble we get in, in Winnipeg in, in a few months' time. Um, <laughs> But going back to you, um, you we were talking before we started recording and you were mentioning you have another project that you're working on uh, somewhat uh, away from the Guelph Griffins, Iron Will. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that involves? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's an iron, there's a football camp that we've just kind of recently started up here in Ontario. It's been a, uh, a huge success over in Calgary. Um, there's a guy out there, his name is Tim. He, he is a defensive line specialist um, and has been doing these camps for a little while now. Um, he has a, a former friend, well, a former player of his uh, and a friend of, uh, of his as well, Marcus Noel, who has brought that over um, to here. And we've just kind of recently started that up um, as of last year at this time. Obviously, I focus on the, uh, the offensive line. He focuses on the defensive backs. And we've been slowly building our coaching repertoire uh, for guys who are coming in there to get bigger camps and things. And you know, we're trying to build something here that's unlike something else that you'd be seeing where, you know, you're just throwing like $300 at somebody for a kid to do a couple of basic drills that you would learn, you know, if you went to like a regular summer league. 
Um, what we really want to try and focus on is doing things like, you know, doing a one-on-one -on -one period, but filming it and having part of the camp be, you know, breaking down film and watching certain techniques and things like that, or teaching guys, you know, here's some stuff you can do at home, or here's a drill that the CFL guys do, you know, so something that you may, you know, when you go into university, you may not even see there at only until, you know, the next level. So um, we want to really try and make something like this uh, a unique experience for anybody who's in there and to just stand out from everybody else that's kind of been uh, doing this as well. So uh, it's an incredible thing to be a part of, and I'm really excited for the future going forward. Obviously have to wait until COVID <laughs> is all done before we really get back into things, but uh, uh, it's been a great experience so far and I can't wait to keep it going. That's awesome. Um, you know, uh, and, and sticking with the things that COVID has kind of made differently, of course, there's, you know, unless something drastic changes really soon, unfortunately, we're not getting any football coming up this fall, but no doubt you and coach Mike and the rest of the coaching staff have still been involved with the players to some capacity. I imagine you're no stranger to zoom calls with your guys. I I'm wondering, uh, you know, obviously there's, a, you know, usually there's a silver lining to all things. And I'm wondering with this, specific occurrence going on where you can't see your guys, but you're having to do zoom meetings or whatever it is you're doing. Are there any things that you're taking away as a coach moving forward that even if things were to go back to, you know, whatever the new normal becomes, but if it's something close to, you know, assuming we get people in classrooms again on the field and just back to football as we know it, uh, are there any learning tools that you've picked up that you think will be helpful that you can maintain, even though we don't you know, need them anymore? Yeah, um, <clears throat> especially for the guys who are living far away. Um, Coach Mike has really been the spearhead on this. And he what he's been doing is he's been sending them either a video of the certain drill that he wants them to work on or just telling them, you know, this is, you know, this particular step and things is what I want you to do. And then the players will film themselves while they do it, send it back to him, and then they'll break down film together and kind of go forward. And especially having something like that for guys like uh, Ben Lancaster, who is a – you know, a, a rookie guy and he's from the Ottawa area, you know, he's going to go home during the summer, but still being able to do like a zoom call or something like that to make sure that his steps are still working. Uh, okay. And he's still working and training in the right path that we want him to um, would be super helpful for all of our guys. Like, even though the guys, some guys can't stay in for the summer, you can still check in and do something like that uh, to make sure that everybody's on the same page. That's brilliant. I mean, that, yeah, that's exactly what I kind of figured might, might be going on, but uh, yeah, that, that, that's awesome to hear. Cause no doubt, as you said, even if things go back to having guys staying in the summers in Guelph, you know, it's obviously tougher for a number of reasons for guys to be able to commit their summers there for, you know, like I said, any number of reasons. So that's, that's great to hear. Um, so I got two questions that I want to finish off with. One will be probably a little harder than the other and you don't want to answer any of them. You don't have to <laughs> okay. first, first question. Alluding back to something I set up in the intro there, um, you know, Western is seemingly the obvious pick when we look at just team success over the decade. Uh, you know, from the Vanniers, Dakota's got the beautiful uh, Under Armour on over there, the, the, the however many umpteen uh, Yates Cup appearances and victories. But, you know, it really came to – is that eight? Okay, beautiful. Um, but it really came to fruition watching that Mac victory that, you know what? I think Mac's got a fighting chance in here. So I'm going to stop beating around the bush. If you had to pick team of the decade, 2010s, is it the Western Mustangs or are you going with your alma mater? I, I have to go with my alma mater. Um, you, you Make the case. About it. You, when you think about it, 2011, 2012, 
2014 Yates Cups. Um, and, you know, Western is no slouch. Every single year, no matter what, no matter how they're doing, if you want to get to a Yates Cup in some capacity, you got to go through Western. But, you know, throughout the 2010s, even though they had gone there uh, quite a few times, they won, what, you won in 2013, 2017? 16 yeah. in there as well? Okay, I can't remember. No, 16 was the Laurier year. 16, yeah, that's right. 15 was Guelph, 16 was Laurier. Western, um, Western. Was Western. Yeah, okay. Um, but, like, you know, you get to McMaster. McMaster wins the Yates Cup, goes to the Vanier every single year except for this past year. And then they lose to the eventual Vanier Cup champion. So you you take a look at that, and I think I think I'm got to give the edge to my McMaster Marauders. Are, do you do you want to do you want to take the rebuttal here? Or is this just going to go in too deep into the weeds, Dakota? Look, I mean the Yates Cups are are the same. I believe. I think the Vanier's are the same. But then it's not just that you have to go through Western. You have to go through London. I mean, the, how many times has the Yates Cup either been against Western or been against Western? at TD Stadium. I think it's seven or eight in the last 10 years. So, I mean, yeah, you can call us like Le- LeBron, as in we don't win every single time, <laughs> but you have to see us in the finals every single time. And, I mean, I'll probably get flack from like Justice Allen and the boys, but you face Western with a healthy healthy Chris Merchant, that game might be a little bit. That game might be a little bit different. Ah, uh, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Though it's it's that's a dangerous road to go down. <laughs> I we'll, we'll we'll stop it there with that one because I'm sure we could very you much get no, into you the know what, Zach, oh. No, no, Zach, Zach. I, I'm going to challenge you, Zach. You're going to put together an all-decade team for Western and for Mac, and then we're just going to settle it right there. <laughs> we'll do it on. The, we'll do that it with would the Madden. Be a good one. That would be a good one. Okay. Well, we'll uh, I might have to recruit Eddie. Bring him back. For, uh, bring him <laughs> back to to work on that one. So that was the easy one. This one, and I'm guessing I'm not going to get easy. an answer for. That was the easy one. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't expect an answer on this. Who wins in a fight? Brian Clough, Michael McDonald. <sighs> Wow. For those listening who might not know, that is the defensive line and offensive line coaches at the University of Guelph, both two just hard-nosed mother effers that have been there for years, guys that, you know, you do not want to mess with. Oh, my God. UFC rules? No no eye gouging, no fish hooking? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. I think they would. And no shots to the groin. No, it would be a gentlemanly fight between them. (laughs) See, that's that's incredibly tough, not only because you knowing the guys, but they're both the kind of breed of people that once they get hit, they just get angry. <laughs> and they realize that they're in a fight and they start fighting harder. And uh, I don't think Clough or Mike McDonald have ever backed down from a fight in their lives. And so I, I, I honestly, I have no idea. I think they would just hit each other until they both like knock each other out at the same time. Like I think they would even tire at the same level because they're just both Iron Men. Mike It'll be like... It'll be like stepbrothers. It'll it'll be the two of them just falling asleep in the fight. Yeah, like when guys are warming up for before practice and I'm like, you know, taking a look at the practice plan or talking to the players, Coach Mike is doing laps around the field or doing plank or doing push-ups. Like that guy is just an animal. So I don't know. I have no idea. And I think if I took either side, either one of them would kick the crap out of me. So I'm just going to call it a tie and go from there. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's what, all right. That's kind of what I figured would happen on that, um, and I'm not gonna say who I think it would win in that fight either because I'm still close enough to it that I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't <laughs> put it past one of them showing up at my door here in Toronto with a, you know, 
the, the gloves off ready to go. Um, but that was brilliant, man. Uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on today, uh, talking about your experience with Mac and then your transition into your life after football. And, uh, for me personally, thank you for being at Guelph and helping out that program. Um, you know, all the best to you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. Um, like I said, I'm a huge fan of this podcast and I can't wait to see what you guys do next. And if you ever need another offensive lineman to help you out, you let me know. <laughs> we can never have enough offensive linemen, so <laughs> we'll stay in touch, Tom. Sounds good. Take right. care, guys. You too. Thanks.